Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Stories and scandal water. It's where you need to be. Stories and scandal water. Let's pour you a cup of tea. Hey, Ashley. Hello, Candy. How are you? I am very good. How are you doing today? I'm excited. Yeah? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited because I'm thinking about the fact that you and I are getting ready to tape a recap episode, know, which means that we are far enough into this podcasting venture that, that we can recap. We're, we're actually thinking about doing updates on... That's amazing. I know. I love it. But you know what? For our listeners, we should give you full disclosure. Yes. A heads up that we are recording this on November 20th, 2021. Correct. And it will not be aired probably for well a little over a month which right. means that we might give you a few updates today that could potentially be a tiny bit outdated by Correct. the time you hear this so just bear that in mind we may have an update to the update is that what you're saying <laughs> maybe you maybe. never know let's jump in because i okay. feel like we have a lot to talk I, about today. i have a lot because i actually i actually got to do a little bit of your job and i told you before we started recording but we have chosen the correct person to do your <laughs> job because this is hard you guys doing doing these story summaries it was very hard for me trying to figure out what to actually pull out of the articles. Well, thank you for that. I love to research, but I do think it's challenging. But thank you for the editing because heaven knows I can't do that. So (laughs) it's a perfect partnership. There you go. Well, let's go all the way back and start with episode one, Staging a Murder. Now, did you, do you have any updates to this? Because I have a bunch. I knew that you were going to be deep diving into it. So I am stepping back and letting you take the lead. Okay, well, here we go. So after hearing the story, I went off on kind of a Googling rabbit trail. And I did that for a lot of the episodes. So sometimes we're just going to talk about the rabbit trail I found. But in this case, I went a little deeper. I guess you could say I did some digging. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. I found a review of the performance of Nine that Daniel Wozniak and Rachel Buffett actually starred in. Yeah. It was posted on April 25th, 2010, and written by Stephen Stanley. And Mr. Stanley said of Rachel specifically, quote, Buffett, looking every bit the blonde and beautiful movie star, sings in a lovely soprano. Hmm. And of Wozniak himself, the reviewer stated, quote, Miracle of miracles, Wozniak gives an entirely credible, beautifully acted, and powerfully sung performance. Wow. Yeah. Though not your traditional music theater leading man, Wozniak has the charisma to make you believe he could attract all these women like moths to the flame. As proof of this, and this is in parentheses, the reviewer says, as proof of this, the gorgeous Buffett is Mrs. Wozniak in real life. My commentary is that we know that hadn't happened yet. Right. So that was a little odd. Okay, back to the quote. He says, Wozniak also makes you believe in this complex man's crises, not just of film, but of faith and of life. Interesting that he was so great on stage, but he couldn't do better when he was in that (laughs) interrogation room. I know. (laughs) I know. And I thought it was a really interesting quote because it just seemed kind of icky. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Just like wild, this complex man of faith and life. And then that stuff was going off 
behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So, okay. But then at first I was confused by a little time discrepancy because I'm used to our theater, uh, our community theater, where we do two weekends, six performances. Mm -hmm. And this review was in late April and the crime was in late May. So I thought, how did he go to a practice or what happened? But then I also found the original ticketing website and discovered that the show performed for an entire month. Oh my goodness. Yeah, from late April until that final fateful weekend in May. That's a loyal audience base or well, fan base really, if you can really sustain is. that. Yeah, and it was a whole month of weekends. Wow. So, okay, more info about the the company itself. They were, I think you mentioned them, they were called the Hunger Artists theater company and they had been in business since 1996 and they had mounted over 100 productions in that time but they went out of business in 2012 two years after the crime Mm. the site i found listed the reason for the closing as the recession however the company had not performed a show since 2010 and nine was not listed on their roster of previous Mm -hmm. shows so again i thought of our theater and i'm not sure how you could come back from that it could be possible but it would take a lot of community grace i mean something that it's so horrific horrific how do you how do you say yeah we're that theater and then you don't know if people are coming to see it out of some gross fatalism or it Mm -hmm. it just mm. i felt so bad for them though because 100 productions and then they just They just had to close. Mm -hmm. All right. So more on them. Okay. I found another article that shared in July of 2021. So this is an actual update. Roughly six months after we recorded our original episode. So we did ours in January, which we've mentioned before. Daniel was moved out of San Quentin to the Salinas. I hope I say that right. Salinas Valley State Prison as part of the condemned inmate transfer pilot program. Okay. Because they did away with the death penalty. Well, sort of. It, he So I've got more on that. It says okay. nearly 60 inmates are currently involved in the program. They describe it as a way for those previously confined to death to now participate in rehabilitation oh. and work programs in order to pay restitution to their victims or their families. Okay. So now, but... Sam's father, Steve Hare, said he feels the families would rather have them in the stricter quarters than working out any restitution. He's quoted as saying, it's like night and day going from the Motel 6 to a regent. So he's pretty upset about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we have Daniel Wozniak himself. There's also a website called Daniel Wozniak is my friend. Where the author, I think the author is still anonymous, but they are writing a book. They share words and news from Wozniak himself. Mm, I read the latest. mm -hmm, I read the latest blog post about his move, and it was an open letter to readers who may be very upset with his move and what he said may be considered better conditions. So this letter is really, really long, but here's a quote in part. Daniel himself says, "Quote: Understand that nothing has really changed. I'm still in prison. I'm never leaving prison, and I will eventually face what I was, in fact, sentenced." to and die within prison's walls. This journey I've now found myself on really no longer has anything to do with me. My mind wrote myself off years ago. Living in prison and on death row for more than a decade leaves you faced with a daily paradox each and every morning. If I'm already dead, why do I continue to wake up each day? Mm. End quote. That is his That is his status right now. You can, you can check out the site if you would like. I know we also wanted to know an update about Rachel. Right. She was eventually sentenced to 32 months in November of 2018 for being an accessory after the fact. I could not immediately find any updates for 2021. I don't know if she's out. I could not find anything. Mm -hmm. I did find a Facebook event 
from November 29th, 2012 called Help Rachel Buffett Out of Jail. And there were a lot of very colorful comments from about three years ago concerning her and people's opinion of her guilt. Hmm. So it was started in 2012 and it was very supportive back in 2012. But in 2018, when she was sentenced, there was a lot of people who also found this. Right. And they commented. I believe it was started by her family. Okay. And we, of course, we don't advocate going and commenting on this site. This family. No. Yeah. Don't, don't harass them, everybody, which I know you wouldn't. But one person whose name I'm not going to reveal because he may not want it revealed in a public way. He just wrote on a Facebook post. Right. This person said, quote, I hope she rots. She was the mastermind behind it all. I was involved with nine and was privy to things most weren't. She's a horrific human. Ooh. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Very, very interesting. So uh, that's all that I found. And I've got a lot of the links and I'll put in our show notes. But that's our update for Mr. Wozniak and Mrs. Buffett. Well, that was good. Thanks for the information. You because are welcome. I, I felt like an investigative reporter, especially <laughs> when I found that Facebook site from like 2012. I know. I was like, wow. I was, and then I was having to kind of put it in context. Yeah. Of like, yeah. That was good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, moving on, episodes two and three, of course, were the two-part focus on Killed on Film. Correct. And we have several updates. In yes. fact, I'm sure our listeners, most if not all of you, are very aware of the tragic accident that happened yes. on the set of the movie Rust, where one person was killed and another injured, injured very mm-hmm. badly. And so we wanted to take a little time to update you on that, remembering, of course, that by the time this airs, our information might be a little right. outdated. We're, we're aiming to release this the last week of December. So just as recently as three days ago, a new article came out talking about the most recent recent lawsuit that has been filed. This one was by Mamie Mitchell, who was actually working on the production. She was standing close to Helena, if I'm saying her name correctly, Hutchins, when that bullet from Alec Baldwin's gun struck her. So she is the latest crew member to take legal action. And is she the script supervisor? Is that who you're talking about? I believe I believe I read this article. Yes, she yeah. is the script supervisor. Mm-hmm. That is correct. She has named not just Alec Baldwin, but the production company and the armorer and the AP. The armorer, part of the, the controversy there is mm-hmm. that the armorer is very young and very inexperienced. So one of the questions that people have been posing is how did this person get placed into such an important, responsible role? Right. So that's that's been one of the pieces of controversy. Of course, another piece of controversy is the fact that protocols were violated. Yeah. And I know you're going to touch on am, that yeah. in a moment. Mm-hmm. So I'll kind of hold on that one. But the big bombshell that also came out was the fact that there was not even supposed to be a gun fired in that particular scene. Right. I remember reading that. That's so wild. A script supervisor, for people who may not know, is someone who goes along with the script and looks at the lines. And they have a lot of different jobs. But another one is they may tell you what sometimes they may tell you what the shots are that are mm-hmm. coming up and she is saying i believe that there was no shot that was supposed to be where he was shooting the gun there was supposed to be a shot of his eyes a close-up of his eyes right. a close-up of a blood stain and then a close-up of his hand on the gun right but not him actually shooting the gun exactly so why did this even happen, of course? Right. Why don't you share with us what you found out about some of those safety protocols? Okay. Did you, I can't recall, did you tell everybody what a squib actually was in the previous episode? Yes, it, when we were talking about Brandon Lee. But okay. why don't you review it really okay, quickly? Okay, so to review, a squib is generally, it consists of a small tube filled with explosive substance. 
with a detonator running through the length of its core, similar to a stick of dynamite. Also similar to dynamite, the detonator can be a slow burning fuse or is more common today is a wire connected to a remote electronic trigger. They range in size anywhere from 0.8 inches up to 0.6. Okay, mm -hmm. so there's also something called a dummy bullet and a dummy round, which is an inert training device made when the primer and powder charge is removed from a real cartridge. Okay, so this, the thing I watched was from John Schneider, and some of you guys may know him. He was on the Dukes of Hazard. Now, to say upfront, he is famously conservative and mm -hmm. Baldwin is famously liberal, but we're going right. to take that out of it because I liked what he said in that he seemed to just say the facts. Now, mm -hmm. a couple times he went off on personal opinion, but I'm just going to talk about what he said oh. that was factual. Yeah, yeah. And if it's a personal opinion, I will say. But also understand these are his opinions based on his time in the film industry. So if you guys choose to watch the videos I'll link, you can decide for yourselves if you feel he is correct or not. This is still an ongoing investigation and things are changing every day. So don't blame me and Candy. Exactly. <laughs> Basically <laughs> is what I'm saying. So in his first video, which was dated October 25th, John shares that, again, in his opinion, there is no way that a live round can be put into a weapon where a blank is supposed to be. And in his second video, he shows you why. There, if it's a prop gun, a live round wouldn't even fit because of the sizing, the bullet wouldn't fit. Mm -hmm. And he, he goes through and shows you all, all of that. Okay, but back to his first video. His main question was who loaded the gun. He details that if a real firearm is to be used on set, there are to be no bullets anywhere in the vicinity of the set. If, as in the case of Westerns, when antique guns are used, because sometimes they are because people see them in the close-ups and they like seeing the actual right, gun. something looks authentic. Right, then dummy bullets are also used, which I defined a second ago. It has the casing, but nothing inside. For the safety protocol for that, you would shake the bullet to prove that there was no lead inside. There's also a circle on the back of the bullet that proves it's a dummy round. So he's again saying in the incident on Rust, when the first AD handed the gun over, he said, the first AD said, quote, gun is cold, right? Which John says, quote, means there should have been nothing in it, not even a blank. It means the gun is empty, incapable of being fired. He said the gun was cold, but did not prove it. You have to prove it. End mm -hmm. quote. Exactly. So here's how John says you prove it. When handing the gun over, the armorer or the person in charge of the gun's safety, which he said is sometimes even a SEAL, a former military, it's somebody who really knows what they're doing, which to mm -hmm. your point is why was it a young person? And he even said, he even said, I didn't write this down, but I remember him saying, you can't just be somebody's nephew and get that job. Right. You have to work your way up. When handing the gun over, the armorer or the person in charge of the gun safety will say something like, look, there are no bullets in this. They will then open the gun and show the actor that it is empty. Then if it holds five rounds, the armorer will point the gun at the ground and fire six times to prove that it is indeed empty. Mm -hmm. Then the actor receiving the gun will verbally acknowledge that the gun is empty by repeating the phrase, I see that there are no bullets in the gun. And then the actor will open the gun, check that it is empty, and then also fire the gun into the ground six times mm -hmm. to doubly prove it is indeed empty. If they break for lunch or if the actor places the weapon down for any length of time, the process begins over from the top. Right. I, I heard another actor who said something similar to that. Additionally, there should have been no scenario in which this gun was pointed at the cinematographer and the director. John Schneider said normally the director would tell the actor where to point the gun in order to make the shot look correct, but that when it came to actually filming, there would be a C-stand, which is a, a tall stand that is used in film with a piece of tape where the actor should aim the weapon. 
I'm sorry, because you hear my cat. He's walking all over stuff, so you're going to hear a little bit of purring. John's final conclusion was that there should have been no live rounds on this set, period. And that's all from the first video. Right. In his second video, dated November 9th, he again stressed the notion that Alec Baldwin, specifically, cannot claim ignorance as the person who produced the film, wrote the screenplay with the director, and was a lead actor. He shared that it is the producers, which we talked about in our episode, the producers who are responsible for making decisions on whether or not to use actual guns, prop guns, and blanks or not. Mm -hmm. John also demonstrated what is standard today in that the guns are empty and that sound effects plus CGI flashes are added in post-production, even going so far as to shoot an example, which to me looked very realistic. Right. He's quoted as saying, it's not about better protocol. It's about following the protocol that is already in place and you ignored it. And that's his comment to Baldwin. Yeah. George Clooney just a few days ago Mm -hmm. came out very strongly against uh, the safety protocols and what happened on set as Mm -hmm. well. He was on a podcast being Mm -hmm. interviewed and I I wrote down a few of his quotes and they directly support what you've just read. Okay. What did they say? Here are a few of them. He talked about the same thing, this cold gun being used as a term when, Mm -hmm. when this person and handed it to Alec Baldwin. He said, that is not something you do. He actually said that he's never heard the term cold gun used to describe a firearm that is safe to use on set after that phrase was supposedly used again by this film's assistant director. So he didn't even recognize that as an appropriate term to use. Here's his direct quote. Every single time I'm handed a gun on set, I look at it. I open it. I show it to the person I'm pointing it to. We show it to the crew. Every single take, you hand it back to the armorer when you're done and you do it again. Part of it is because of what happened to Brandon. Yes, I saw a lot of, yes, that. yes. When this first happened, I saw a lot of people commenting about Brandon and Vic Morrow specifically. Yeah, yes. That I didn't think this could happen. You know, this is, we do stuff so this doesn't happen anymore. Exactly. Uh, one of the comments, I, I couldn't tell you, again, this is a civilian who is just commenting on a YouTube video. I don't have it written down, so I'm not going to say it specifically. But that person listed all of the films in which Alec Baldwin has handled guns before. Mm-hmm. Right. The Hunt for Red October being one. Uh, um, the edge maybe where he plays somebody he points guns at people he said again civilian a regular person like you and I just said he knows better he mm-hmm. knows better you can't just say this is his first rodeo and he didn't know what he was doing that's why this is so crazy uh, John Snyder says he doesn't think it's accurate to any longer call it an accident he thinks it is a mistake because an accident is something that you just truly accidentally do. He said this was just too much negligence to call it an accident. And of course, as as Ashley said, this is an ongoing investigation. Yeah. And who knows what evidence they're going to turn up. We're just offering opinions correct, here. Correct, correct. But I've heard so many people talk about not just the safety issues within this particular incident, but the fact that some people had walked off the set yes, just, just hours prior before. to this because of concerns. Yeah over the safety regulations being violated and just not feeling like they were being protected on set. So that's concerning. I mean, even before this happened, and I have heard, this is, I think, a rumor type thing. Some people, of course, speculating, was this sabotage? Did somebody Uh intentionally do something? But most of what I'm seeing, what I'm reading, what I'm hearing is negligence. Yeah, it's just Just pure negligence. mm -hmm. And I mean, gosh, this is just horrible. No matter where you are on this, it's horrible. Everything that has happened is horrible Mm -hmm. and it should not have happened. Well... On that unhappy note, we talked about, of course, some other tragic accidents in those same two episodes. We talked about Steve Irwin. We talked about Vic Morrow. Let's go ahead and and move on and give some updates on some of those other situations. Steve Irwin, I think, would be the one. I have something on Steve Irwin. So a new friend and listener, Amy, let us know that there have been some rumors of a romantic link between Terry and actor Russell Crowe. 
and I had never heard of that. So I did a little bit of Googling and I could only find the same thing, which is rumors. There is nothing substantial confirmed by either one. Russell Crowe was the first person to call Terry after Steve's death to offer her support. And that seems to be where the rumors kind of started. However, Terry maintains publicly that she is not interested in dating. And a quote from Russell says, quote, Terry is one of the greatest women I've ever met in my life without there being implication for intimacy or whatever. I love how she's kept the memory of Steve alive and respected the work that the two of them had begun. And she's an absolute champion, but we're not in a relationship. Uh, okay. So if they are, it's very, very secret, but it sounds like at least publicly they, they're denying it. They're denying it. Right. Yeah. You had some interesting information about Steve's dad, didn't I you? I did. Yes. And this kind of, uh, there was a lot. So I just have a, a little bit of it, but it's, it's almost almost sounds like a family feud situation. Hmm. Again, I had never heard of this either. So this is kind of a sad update. Steve's father, Bob, and Terry Irwin had a falling out around 18 months after Steve's death, allegedly over what direction the zoo should take. In 2008, Bob Irwin is quoted as saying, quote, I just felt that it was better for everybody concerned if I left Australia Zoo and Judy, which I think was his second wife, so not Steve's mom. If I left Australia Zoo and Judy and I and all our friends were able to continue Steve's work the way I believe it should be done. He also said, quote, the problem I had was that the management and I didn't agree on certain aspects of Australia Zoo after Steve's passing. Because most times I went into Australia Zoo, I would have a different sort of opinion with somebody, or I may have an idea and it would not be listened to. Now, mm. after that, this is where he gets a little pointed. Mm, I don't oh. know if that's a word. It's like a, a little soap opera. -ish. Oh, okay. So after this, it devolves more into a he said slash she said slash she said. Bindi Irwin, which you'll remember is Steve's daughter, posted a tribute to her husband and her father-in-law for Father's Day 2021, to which a fan, which I say rightfully so, pointed out that she had left out her grandfather, Steve's father. Right. She replied in a very lengthy post that you can find online that Bob had not been in their lives for many years and called his treatment of her and her family psychological abuse. She Ooh. detailed that he returned gifts they bought him, never spent time with her as a child, and and that her mother had been financially supportive of him since 1992 when he retired from the zoo. To mm. that post, Bob's friend, former Australia Zoo co-worker and co-biographer of Bob's book, The Last Crocodile Hunter, Amanda French, replied, in quote, He is nothing but kind. He hasn't seen you since you were 10. He's done all he knows how to do, and that is bury his head in the sand because that's how he copes. Oh my goodness. He's not someone who's out there... A He's not someone who is out there about reaching out and communicating. He's like your dad was, an introvert and not someone who can navigate people well. Well, that's so, sad. Right. So essentially, this sounds like a big fat mess mm -hmm. that would most likely be kept off of social media. Right. And mm -hmm. I was thinking about myself and, you know, she's 22. I don't know if she's right. I don't know if this other lady's right. The point is, none of us know because we're not in that family. I'm really glad that I am not famous and that I did not have social media when I was a young person because there is a lot of def definite conflicting emotions. And right. I think probably Bendy just stated what was on her heart. Mm -hmm. She believes it's true. This other, this other lady has a relationship with Steve's dad that she does not see that side of the mm -hmm. dad. So we have no idea who's right or wrong. Okay, but I've got good news for you. Okay, we're going to end it on some good news. Okay. I did find the freshwater snapping turtle that Bob and Steve discovered together. It's oh. named Alicia Irwini, the Irwin's turtle. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said that right. Ir or Irwin's turtle or the freshwater snapping turtle. Now, this species is a large, short neck and with a yellowish white head. Like other related species in the Alicia group, Irwin's turtle is a colloquial respirator, i.e. it breathes 
breathes through its bum. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, I'm glad you defined that because I had no idea what that <laughs> <Yes>. meant. <laughs> Erwin's turtle lives in a specialized habitat with clear oxygenated water with continuous flow. Urana, I just don't know if I'm saying any of this right, guys. It contains the most permanent river in the Burdekin River system, which means that Urana is likely very important habitat for the turtle. And you're welcome for the science that we just inserted <laughs> into welcome. this podcast. Yes, I had to find something happy because that was such a sad little family feud. I didn't want to end it on that. Well, and here I'm about to bring something else that's a little dark into oh, this. boy. Because within the course of our two-part episode on Killed on Film, we took a little bit of a, a turn, remember? And we were talking about curses. Yeah, yeah. And one of our listeners very kindly responded to our Facebook post call mm-hmm. out. We, we did a little request. Right. Uh, if you're not aware, we do have a Scandal Water Podcast Facebook page. Yes. And so we knew we had an update episode coming and we asked viewers if they wanted to offer any suggestions or corrections so that we could possibly insert them into this episode. And Kelly H. was kind enough to point out that we had never really given the backstory on the Macbeth curse. Oh, okay. So we're going to take just a few minutes to catch up on that. So my two sources were history.com and the Royal Shakespeare Company. Most oh, of see, this information. Oh, see, you already listed your sources. I'm just like, just check the show notes because I can't tell you where <laughs> I found all this stuff. But I did, I did copy and paste it. Yes, I'm, it's all there. And that's on our, our website. If Correct. you need to find our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com, it's all there. But here we go. So again, if you're not aware, the curse supposedly is the bad luck comes if you say the word, Macbeth, inside a theater. That we're is, not inside a theater. We're not, okay. so we're okay. 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 Even though we're doing something kind of creative and arts. Th- we're still okay. Okay, okay yeah, good. Okay. So if you accidentally say, or purposefully, who knows, say that name while you're in the theater, it is believed that it will bring bad luck and it could potentially even cause something awful to befall your production. So to avoid doing that, actors will refer to the play by a lot of different titles or names such as the Scottish play Mm -hmm. or the Bard's play. So why the curse? What is the background to this? Well, first of all, of course, some people don't even believe it's real. They just say if you have a play that's been around for hundreds of years Mm -hmm. and it's been produced a lot, of course you're going to have a lot of accidents. You're going to have a lot of bad things happen. But other people believe that it really is is cursed and here's why they think so. So I'm going to back up a little bit. Okay, long, long time ago, King James VI of Scotland was obsessed with witchcraft. And people think it was because of the violent death of his mom, Mary, Queen of Scots, who was executed in 1587. And they think this is what She's Bloody Mary, right? Yes. This this is what led James to become so fascinated with magic and the dark arts. Well, later in 1589, James is sailing back to Scotland from Denmark with his new wife, Anne, and their ship encountered violent storms at sea. They almost drowned. Well, this Scottish king blamed the evil spells of witches for conjuring up that storm and so following his return to Scotland he ordered a witch hunt in the coastal town of North Berwick and he even later wrote this big document on witchcraft which inspired further persecution against witches so he had a thing for witches yeah after he became King James I of England in 1603 of course the king's beliefs mattered to people sure and so some of the writers of the day would even incorporate 
translates some of his ideas or some of his interests into their works, and Shakespeare did that. Supposedly, the line in Macbeth, here's the quote, though his bark cannot be lost, yet it shall be tempest-tossed, was a direct reference to that same ship event that we were talking about just a moment ago. But even more relevant, of course, because of this interest of the king in witchcraft, supposedly Shakespeare actually researched the weird sisters, the, the witches in the play, and their chants that you hear in Macbeth and supposedly those ingredients that are mentioned of the fenny snake, the eye of newt, and the toe of frog, those uh-huh. are supposedly all real oh. witchcraft things and real spells. But then wouldn't that mean spells. performing that particular play would be cursed? Why just saying the name of it? Well, they say that, this is folklore of uh-huh. course, but because he had used these real witch spells and ingredients, uh-huh. a coven of witches objected to his using these incantations Uh and they put a curse on the play. Now, so your point is... Yeah, then that every production of that play would be cursed and not just saying that dude's name. Okay. People believe that Macbeth was cursed from the very beginning. In fact, legend has it that their very first performance, which was around 1606, was riddled with disaster. Remember back in the day, men played even the female yeah, roles? Mm-hmm. So the actor playing Lady Macbeth died suddenly. Oh, dang. And one of the two sources said that it was Shakespeare himself who actually had to take over that part. Yikes. In another 17th century production, which was held in Amsterdam, the actor playing King Duncan was allegedly killed right in front of a live audience <gasps> when a real dagger was used in place of the stage prop during the stabbing scene. Wow, that also just ties into it, today. I know. Sad. This is sad. This is sad. Yeah. Another actor, Harold Norman, who reportedly did not believe in the superstition, died after his stage battle became too realistic while he was playing in Macbeth in 1947. And there are there are so many examples. Okay, so maybe I have to rethink this then. <laughs> I may I, have to rethink my not believing in this. I could give you so many. I mean, but I, for sake of time, I'll uh-huh. just mention one more. There was this huge, apparently, uh, very well-known what would we call it riot i'm not sure here i'll tell you what happened and we'll decide what term to use okay so in 1849 there was this long-standing rivalry between the fans of this british actor named william charles mccrady Mm -hmm. and this american actor named edwin forrest who both by the way happened to be playing macbeth in competing productions like they were in different productions okay but because of the rivalry and there was also kind of this social you know competition thing going on too the fact that they were one was british one was american they were different kind of Uh levels of the social status anyway this inspired violence to break out during the production that was taking place in new york's Astor Place Opera House, it ended up leaving 22 people dead and more than 100 people injured. Good grief, guys. I know. Other things have happened, and even something occurred to Laurence Olivier when he was doing it at the Old Vic in 1937. Some people believe it really is cursed, hence you don't even say the name. Hmm. And the antidote, if you accidentally say it, here's what you're supposed to do. And the two sources gave slightly different okay. ideas. So okay. according to history.com, if you accidentally say it, you have to exit the theater, you have to spin around three times, spit over your left shoulder, and either recite a line from Shakespeare or you have to say a profanity. <laughs> According to the Royal Shakespeare Company. I would say the profanity trying to spit over my left shoulder. I just, I can't even look. I can't even do it. Maybe it's because you spit on your shoulder that you say the profanity. (laughs) Maybe. But according to the Royal Shakespeare Company, you exit the theater, you spit around three times, you spit, you curse, but then you have to knock on the door to be allowed back in. Wow. Mm -hmm. So there you have it, folks. There we have it. 
Yeah, all right. I'm rethinking things. Okay. All right. I'm not afraid to be wrong. <laughs> so episode four. <laughs> okay. Episode four was gaslighting. And we had a lot of incredible feedback about this episode. It was actually our second most downloaded episode so far. I don't have anything specific to update you other than I found a lot of fun rabbit trails for those who may be interested, including a site that details the main differences between the girl and the train film and the book. I found the original Gaslight trailer and the link to the History Chicks episode that I mentioned Zelda and a link if you're interested to the play that we talked about, the original play that we were that you actually I don't think we said you were in it and I directed co-wrote it with Rebecca my mom so just some links if you guys are interested they'll be in the show notes awesome well before we move on to episode five should we take a little break yes And we are back and ready to talk about episode five, which was War of the Worlds. So this was fun, guys, because after we aired the episode, I heard from a friend who I'd actually not heard from in a long time. Just to kind of give you the quick backstory, many years ago in 2009, I performed in a play, The Gingerbread Lady, with my friend Rich. And that's when I first met him, of course. Well, he then, a year later, founded his own theater company in 2010, The What If Theater. And in 2012, I was in a play for The What If Theater that my friend Rich directed called Arcadia. Now, since that time, which has been almost a decade, we probably haven't crossed paths more than a handful of times. But after this War of the World episode aired, Rich reached out and he shared what I thought was a very interesting story and Ashley did as well. So we wanted to to let him tell it. Rich very kindly sent us an audio clip where he just gives a very brief explanation of the situation. But just to set it up, back many years ago, Rich had decided that he would like to produce War of the Worlds in his What If Theater. And he had reached out to try to get the rights, which involved trying to contact the widow of the original screenwriter remember Mr. Cook who we had mentioned in our previous episode and then he ends up having an interaction with the widow's attorney in the course of trying to uh, secure these rights and has a very interesting conversation that takes place between the two of them but we'll let Rich tell it. In the original production design we were going to perform the radio play in front of the audience from the perspective of the radio studio. The actors and technicians were going to be in period costume using sound effects equipment to simulate what would have been available in 1938 so that we would be giving an idea of what went into radio production for live radio in 1938. Once we were finished with that there'd be a brief intermission and we were going to replay what had just been recorded. Just the audio, nothing on stage, so that the audience only had what was the sound and their own imaginations to contend with. My hope was that it would recreate on some level the terror that the original production had produced, whether you believe it did or not. I was dealing with the lawyer for the widow of Howard Cook, the playwright, in getting the performance rights for this piece. I was able to get a copy of the original script through Amazon, of all places, and confirmed that it was a a good copy to work from by the lawyer. He did inform me, however, when I told him my plans for the production, that I was going to fail. It would not work. The recording that I produced would be accurate, but when I played it back, I wasn't going to get the reaction that H.G. Wells did because there was no historical context. His panic was fed 
by recent events like the crash of the Hindenburg, the end of World War I. So there wasn't anything in our recent history at that time. This was 2011. This was 10 years ago that we attempted this. There was nothing in context historically for us to tie into. There was no communal terror for us to tap into. So we were doomed to fail. When he told me that, it kind of took the wind out of my sails and we did end up abandoning the project, mostly because of our day jobs and whatnot. I love that. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. He did remind me that I used a term incorrectly. I shouldn't have said a screenwriter since it was a radio drama, but the script writer, Mr. Cook, I'll correct myself there really quickly. But what I love about Rich's memory there, his, his reflections, was that he tied into that same idea that we talked about in our episode, the fact that had it not been for their terror over the Nazi invasions right. and their experiences in the war, would people have reacted in the same way? Would it have caused such an emotional reaction? action and it seems like Mr. Cook's lawyer believes as we as we speculated that that really was a, a huge part of that audience reaction. Yeah, agreed. Something else that happened is we met John from the Mercury right. Theater podcast and he loved our podcast and he actually named his podcast after the Orson Welles mm-hmm. company. And if you go back and listen to our Jump the Shark episode uh, number 6, we have a shout out from John there. So we want to say hello to John again and Hi, thank John. you Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Moving on to episode six that Ashley just previewed. It was Jumping the Shark and... I do have, just within the past few days, an update, which is a little sad, actually. I I mean, not terribly sad, nothing tragic, but just a little disappointing because one of the things that we had talked about was how the focus had changed, remember, from Ron Howard's character, Richie Cunningham, to the Fonz, and how Ron Howard had just taken that so well and was so gracious about it. And so just within the last week or two, I believe it was actually November 12th, 2021, I found a People article where they were talking about an interview that Ron Howard had given on the Graham Norton show. Okay. And have he, you ever seen the Graham, Graham Norton show? I've seen little clips. I've seen it's clips. Hysterical. It looks really fun. It does. I need to actually catch a whole episode. Okay, here's what was interesting. In that interview with Graham Norton, Ron Howard again affirmed what we had said in our episode. He had a great relationship with Henry Winkler. He didn't begrudge his friend right. anything. Okay. Okay. All of that still holds true. Yeah. But what he said that was new to me was that he felt like he was treated with disrespect by the producers, the directors, the people who ran the Happy Days show. Yes. Here's a quote from him. It was a really interesting kind of paradoxical situation because the show began and the Richie Cunningham character was the undeniable lead of the show. This is Ron Howard talking. Yeah. And he admitted that Henry Winkler was remarkable. That was his word. Remarkable as the fawn. So he didn't take anything away from Henry. But he went on to say that as Henry Winkler's star was rising, the show's executives, studio heads, and network heads changed their attitude toward him. He said, here's another quote, when we would go out on the road to promote the show, it was just insane. Focused on Fonzie, clearly that was very exciting. Except executives, studio heads, network heads, you know, they started treating me with a lot of disrespect from a business standpoint and in terms of interaction. But then he went on to say, this is more quotes, guys, I certainly didn't feel it within our friendship, which endures to this day, talking about his relationship with Henry Winkler. He said, he's the godfather of all four of my kids. As we said, they had a great relationship. So you were right. I mean, there mm -hmm. was nothing between them, but that's awful that they treated him differently. Exactly. But he said he learned something from it. He ended the article, or well, this article ended by saying that Ron Howard 
talked about the fact that it was a big learning lesson for him. He said, I recognize this is a business and it's a tough business Mm -hmm. and it's a competitive one. And then he added, it reminded me to pursue my own dream which was to be in charge of productions, the stories I wanted to tell, oh. and to be the filmmaker. So it inspired him. That did. So it's kind of like when something bad happens to you, instead of taking it and pouting about it, he said, you know what? I know now how not to behave. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go create the projects I want to create. And I'm going to create the atmosphere that I want, that I needed when I was this age. Yeah. So I it was like actually that. an inspiration for him. So something else I found, I think you mentioned the website jumptheshark.com. Yes. Did you know that it no longer exists? Do we know why? Yeah, I do know why. Okay. So this is quoted directly from the site because I did not know a way I was not candy. I did not know a way to <laughs> to make this concise. So this is just a long quote from this article I found. It says, sometime in 2006, John Hine decided to sell the website known as Jump the Shark or jumptheshark.com. Hine sold his company, Jump the Shark Inc., to Gemstar, owners of TV Guide, on June 20th, 2006, hmm. for over $1 million. <gasps> Some sources what? say it could be as high as 5 to 10 million, but he's just claiming 1 million. After he sold it, he went to work with Howard Stern, which doesn't really mean anything, but that's just what he did. Now, around January, February 2009, Jim Starr decided to redesign the website. With this new redesign, they decided to scrap all the old content and make Jump the Shark a redirect to their gossip blog site. Huh. The icing on the cake was that Jim Starr had the audacity to redirect the old Jump the Shark site to a subdirectory of tvguide.com. And that's hmm. the end of the quote, which is what I found. When I typed in jumpthesshark.com, it just took me to TV Guide. To TV Guide. And I thought, what? Why? Why would you even do that? Yeah, Why so wouldn't... I just Googled what happened to Jump the Shark, and that's what came up. Got it. Well, that's interesting. Okay, so for our final update, this is something that Candy already knows, but I will share with you guys. In May of 2021, so this year, I don't know if we've talked about this before or not, but while we were on hiatus from the stage and quarantine and all that, our theater did something called the Lemonade Jamboree, where some of our um, actors wrote sketches and we just decided to do kind of like, um, uh, what would you call it, like short film festival something like that and candy was in one of our sketches but one of our music videos i actually entered into a film festival and it was a finalist we had two things were finalists one one was a finalist but wasn't going to be shown at the festival and another thing was a finalist and was and this is in orlando florida Mm -hmm. and it was the international christian film and music festival which is like the biggest film festival in christian film festival and the world i don't know it's you can look it up anyway so we go down there and we are there the night of the uh award ceremony and spoiler we did not win so don't get excited about that that's not what this is about we were there and they had this um hors d'oeuvres and meet and greet before the actual award ceremony I'm sorry. I'm Henry so sorry. is enjoying yes, that loving. Now Henry is here. It was Scotty before, and now Scotty's asleep. And we have no door in this room, you guys, so I apologize. I hope you like cats <laughs> while I tell my story. So we go in there, and we're in this area where there is hors d'oeuvres, and you're meeting and greeting. We met a wonderful friend from, uh, I think she's from Tennessee, and we were chatting with her, and we were sitting at a little table, and... I am to the side of the table and my friend is across from my new friend is across from me and Brian, my husband is sitting facing two empty chairs. Well, our new friend gets up to use the restroom and there is this gentleman that comes 
and asks if anyone is using these chairs. And I I say to him, well, we have a friend who's using this one, but this one, this other one is empty. And my husband, Brian, gets real excited. And, <laughs> and I don't see this person. You know, I just see this side of their face. And so he's like, oh, no, I'll go get you a chair. And I thought, why is he being so friendly? You know, because <laughs> I mean, he's friendly, but it was just like really friendly. And he jumps up and he goes, gets a, gets a chair. And this, this gentleman and his wife sit down next to us. And I just look at him and I'm like, so why are you here? And he says, well, I have a film here and I'm nominated for Best Supporting Actor or something like that. I'm like, well, that's wonderful. And he tells me about the movie and all that jazz. So as we're chatting, his wife needed to uh, have a sip of water and there was no water. And then Brian again is like, I'll go get you some water. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. He gets up and he goes off and I'm, I'm like, well, okay, well, I'm just going to readjust my chair so I can talk to this fella a little bit better. Right. And as I readjust the chair, I look at him and he's telling me all about his film. I just have this sinking feeling. And I look at this fella, not a bad sinking feeling, but like, oh, you dummy. And I, I look at him and I say, I'm so sorry. Either you are, or you look exactly like Donnie most. And he just smiled. He went, I am. Ah. I know. I know. And I said, oh, it's so cool to meet you. You know, what do you do when you meet somebody? You're sitting next to this person. You watched your whole childhood grow up, you know? Then the whole thing I'm thinking of is we had already recorded that episode by that point. (laughs) And I thought, if I do not mention this episode to him, Candy's going to murder me. Because I'm going (laughs) to tell her this story. And she's going to say, did you tell him about our episode? We talked about film a little bit more. We talked about happy days and how much he enjoyed that. And in the episode, you said that he was... Had some reservations. Had some reservations. Yes. And and Mm -hmm. so I related to him. I said, we have this podcast. It's called this and this. And I told him about the episode. He says that you are correct. And that... Thank you, Donnie. (laughs) (laughs) And that he was the one that had reservations. And he did leave after that. And he actually says that he may be one of the first people to coin that phrase because he remembers when they did this, he, there was something else that Fonzie did that was ridiculous. And he remembers calling up Ronnie and saying, oh, they've got him jumping the shark again, which was Mm. a way to say they have him doing something very ridiculous. Yes. But he was incredibly kind, very nice. We got a photograph together and he was just such a gentleman. And he did go on to win best supporting actor in his category. It just was a lovely interaction. And you know how sometimes when you meet people and they can be what you don't think they would be. And Mm -hmm. he was exactly what you would think he would be. And I will put a link to the film that I watched of his that he was telling me about. And you're going to put the picture on? Sure, I can put the picture on. Yeah, yeah. it was a wonderful film. I actually really enjoyed it. It had some stuff of conspiracy, which I like. And it's supernatural things. And I I truly, truly enjoyed the film. But I just thought you would enjoy that story. I love that story. I remember calling Candy. and, And when she, you didn't answer. So I called you the night of the banquet, like after all this had happened happened and you didn't answer and you texted me and you're like sorry I'm with family and I was like no you have to call me back <laughs> she you did. have she to call me back forceful. right now she was like it doesn't matter what you're doing <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter who you're with call me back and I was excited yes. I remember being super excited <laughs> yes. that was awesome yes it was very cool <sighs> all right well that was a happy one yes I, lo- I love a happy update hello friends this is Ashley from the editing room since we are not doing an update of the update show, I thought I would jump in here because I wanted to tell the correct name of the Donnie Most movie and give you a little synopsis because the name has actually changed. When I saw the film, it was called Lost Heart. And here is the synopsis of the film. It says, and this is from dove.org. A lifetime ago in a sleepy Michigan lake town, Hannah Howard experienced something otherworldly. 
For years, the event was pushed to the corners of her mind, seemingly forgotten, until a trip home starts unlocking her past memories. Can her advice-giving hippie mother, played by Victoria Jackson, or the small-town preacher, played by Don Most, or her newly discovered Bigfoot-hunting brother, Josh Perry, help her make sense of it all. To add to the growing mystery, the strange events have started again upon Hannah's return. Strange lights appearing in the sky over a place locals call the Devil's Crossroads. So that is a synopsis again from Dove.org, and the film has actually been, the name has been changed from Lost Heart. It is now called Bigfoot, UFOs, and Jesus, which I think is a pretty awesome title for a film if you ask me. But anyway, there you go, and Donnie Most won Best Supporting Actor at the International Christian Film Festival for this film, originally titled Lost Heart. Back to the episode. So moving on to episode seven, Cobra Kai, we don't actually have a lot to say here other than there was a lot of interest yes, in this episode. Yes, we this have was a lot number three on the top downloads. And yeah. if you want to know number one, because if you're like me, you go, well, what was number one? It was staging a murder. Mm -hmm. So our first episode was number one, gaslighting, and then Cobra Kai. Yeah. But Cobra Kai's only been out a short time. Yeah. So, it I could mean, overtake. It, it really um, spoke to me in terms of, of affirming what we suspected, that there are a lot of Cobra Kai yes, fans there out are. there. So knowing that, we thought we would just go ahead and share with you as our update the fact that season four will be premiering on December 31st, Woo! 2021. If you don't know it yet, now you do. Yep. And, and I am one episode away from finishing season one. So I'm nice. slow, but I'm getting there. You are getting there. And of course, as would be expected, they're really talking it up. The Cobra Kai head writers and executive producers are saying it is going to be amazing. Here's a quote. Prepare yourselves because season four is our biggest one yet with new alliances, new students, new conflicts, and the return of a legendary franchise character. It's is. anyone's game. Strap in for a wild ride on the way to the 51st annual All-Valley Tournament. Well, it's going to be Terry Silver. You and I did not see him because okay. he was in the Karate Kid Part 3 movie. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But everybody else who's been a fan for a long time, they know exactly who it is. This is news, I think, that's been out for a while. In fact, the actor who plays Terry Silver, Thomas Ian Griffith, even put out a quote a while uh -huh. back where he said, I never imagined I'd be stepping back into this role, but what an incredible opportunity to bring Terry Silver full circle. Cool. And he said, when they say Cobra Kai never dies, they mean it. <laughs> And, and they had previewed this. If, yeah. you, if you've watched the whole thing, there were um, a couple of different scenes where they had flashbacks where you saw the Cobra Kai sensei, John Kreese, that he had saved Silver's life when they were both prisoners of war in Vietnam. Oh, you see a later episode okay. where he's staring at this picture of his old buddy and they, they were foreshadowing that he was okay. coming back. Okay. Yeah. Well, for me, I found in my little Googling rabbit trails, I found the Etsy t-shirt link for the Justice for Johnny. <gasps> nice. I also found the Freddie Fernandez t-shirt shirt <laughs> and I found not the one that I saw originally but I did find the article and an article about I am Iron Man if you remember I oh, talked yes, about that being yes. an additional line I found that and I found some fun Goonies clips that I will add love it including Mikey's this is our time speech from the Goonies <laughs> Episode eight was our quiz show scandal episode. I'm sorry for what I said about her, but I'm also not sorry. So I don't know where I stand on that. And we had a lot of people talking about <laughs> that they really enjoyed my salty, salty self. Absolutely true. But it was fun because one of our listeners, who's also a friend, Kelly H., she and I met when we performed in a play together several years ago. Well, Kelly not only enjoyed your reaction, but she also <laughs> felt compelled as somebody who'd been through law school to go ahead and offer an insight okay. that made 
maybe we wouldn't have thought of. Okay. She shared that, although she also does not approve of her. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I don't I don't either. I hope it didn't sound like <laughs> no, I do in the episode. No, you're just being the, the I was voice being of very, reason yeah, I was and telling it not with an opinion, you know, just like what you're supposed to do with news. <laughs> And I was, I was very, <laughs> I am shamed. <laughs> well, Kelly pointed out that the reason why he was protected was literally because of whistleblower protection laws. Without those protections, as she pointed out, people would not come clean. Like they would not choose to do so. So her observation was that while he did cheat and he did act unethically, it also took guts to come forward and to expose the corruption because he was taking a chance sure. that he also would go down with the sure. ship. And if it were not for those whistleblower protection laws, you would not have a lot of things exposed that need to be brought to light. I agree with all of that. My one problem is that he profited. Mm -hmm. That's my one comeback. I think it should come with, and you are not ever able to profit from this. You're not going to get in trouble. We're not going to do X, Y, Z. You just can't make money from this. That's an interesting idea because, of course, they do that with criminals sometimes. Mm -hmm. Well, murderers is what's Mm -hmm. coming to my mind where Mm -hmm. you're not going to make any money off of this. Exactly. Yeah, that would be easy to add in there. Thank you. Our suggestion. (laughs) To the whoever is in charge of these things. Now, for me, I had a fear. Field day with the rabbit trails for this one. I had such a good yet also very stressful time watching all these game show clips to share. So That's I right, have because they stress they stress you me out. out. <laughs> yes, so I was very excited, but also like I had to take a breather. So I have links to the answer is the book you talked about. A link to purchase on Amazon if you're interested. It's not affiliate. It's just a link if you're interested in the book. I have his last Jeopardy message, Aww. which I got a little teary. I have the Jeopardy Alex Trebek Ken Jennings the final Jeopardy. Oh. oh Oh, the final Jeopardy on the greatest of all time tournament where, oh, cool. where Ken won. I have the quiz show 1994 trailer. I have the actual episode of Stemple versus Van Doren. And I got to hear that little joke he made about the King Henry lives. <laughs> I've got a John Turturro Herb Stemple photo comparison mm-hmm. and Stemple's death announcement. And I have a whole bunch of other stuff. I got Wheel of Fortune's Most Amazing Solves, which these were incredible. One of them just had one had like one letter and the person solved it. I think one had nothing. Are you and kidding me? Well, Just, maybe not nothing, but there was there was like one letter and this person got it. It was wow. it was amazing. Concentration. Remember, I talked yes, about having did. seen Alex on that. It was a bonus round where nothing was working. So some stuff went funky and it showed how Alex handled it. Hmm, that's cool. And then a normal episode, the $10,000 pyramid, the greatest win. This was also incredible. The monk game show scandal episode, but I couldn't view it to make sure that I was right about the solving because you have to purchase it to, to view mm-hmm. it. So I've got a link to that. I have a link to what is Geritol. <laughs> and I have a link and also a correction for both of us. Susan Boyle's first appearance was on Britain's Got Talent. Oh, you and I misidentified it did. as America's Got Talent. Okay. So I have her first. And then also Ray Combs's Family Feud, which is the family feud I liked. The comeback of the century. So I got a lot of stuff you for you guys. Did. You found a lot of rabbit trails. I did. That was a good day. Well, an interesting note was Ashley and I will, will make predictions when we were doing an episode, for example, Cobra Kai, it was kind of a no-brainer. We assumed that there would probably be a lot of interest in an episode like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But then you come to an episode like the quiz show scandals of the 1950s, and you're wondering, is this going to be an episode that will be quite as popular, quite as widespread in its popularity? And what was fun was to find out you guys do like 
like quiz shows, or at least you're interested in the scandals, because we had a couple of listeners who responded immediately and gave us other ideas Uh for some scandals that we might pursue if we wanted to do a part two. So for example, Elaine, who is a friend and a listener, mentioned that we could dig into this Price is Right idea of, especially with the showcase showdowns, is it data or is it actually luck? luck? Right. And so like she said, there have been books and articles written on this topic. So she suggested that could be something we could dig into if we wanted to. And then we had another friend Mm -hmm. and listener, Jennifer R., had a suggestion that we might look into another Price is Right scandal, this one involving a man named Ted Slauson, who could make the perfect bid is how they they build this in some kind of a documentary. He basically could outsmart the program. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. So... I think we're up to episode nine now. Is that right? I think so. WKRP in Cincinnati. My main man. My mom, Rebecca, told me, well, there's actually another one. I thought it was just the turkey one that if you thought of this, you would think of that. And she said, no, there is actually an episode where it was almost like, you know how Law and Order rips things from the headlines? Mm -hmm. They do current events. WKRP did a fairly current event where it, it also turns out to be a current event in our 2021 world where there was a and I don't have any info in front of me because we may end up covering this eventually but there was a concert where a bunch of concert goers were crushed Mm. in trying to get into this concert and WKRP because it was in Cincinnati this event happened in Cincinnati and they did an episode but then the Astroworld tragedy happened very recently. So that is something that could be compared and contrasted later on. So the fact that they based their episode yes, on this real Correct. current event for that time. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm yes. sure they, that they acted like the yeah, the actors acted as though they were going to the concert. Oh, wow. I bet that was just heart-wrenching. Yes. I saw, I didn't see the full episode. The full episode is available online and I can link to it. It's on YouTube, I believe. But I just saw the, she showed me the ending of it where they were talking about the fallout. Because I think the whole story was about they were, had tickets to it and they were so excited to go. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Carlson actually went, but he did not see any of this happen because I believe this actually happened before. And I think some of the legislation changed to where there was doors that were closed and people couldn't get through. So it changed the way that you access as concerts but now of course now we have this where people were also crushed and and were dying in the space awful another thing you thought would never happen again right yeah so tragic well let's move to a happier episode episode 10 which focused on dick van dyke and how it's connected in and part of it of course was how it connected to wandavision that's correct i don't have any updates for the wandavision but they are doing reshoots so hopefully we'll get to see the next you know installment later again i went wild with rabbit trails (laughs) absolutely wild it was so fun i found the it may look like a walnut full episode awesome i found this was this is your show of shows which is where carl reiner was to get the idea Mm -hmm. it was one of their highest rated sketches it was pretty funny i gotta say it was pretty funny and i've got a link to that it was caesar sid caesar on you remember this is your life i know what that is okay so they have him as if he's being on the show this is, oh. and he doesn't want his life reviewed <laughs> <laughs> then i have a youtube committed to sharing as much of sid caesar's work as possible including your show of shows and caesar's hour i have the milton burrow wiki page jackie gleason's wiki page laura's apology to alan with his wig his little toupees oh that's right we talked about that <laughs> yeah i have new rochelle new york the setting of the dvd dick van dyke setting of dick van dyke the official website and i actually found head of the family pilot starring carl reiner i oh, didn't get to watch all of it 
it. No, but this is the one that was supposed to be the Dick Van Dyke right. show. But yeah, head of the family. <gasps> cool. And then delving into if other people love Dick Van Dyke like I do, I found Put on a Happy Face from Bye Bye Birdie the film. And I found oh, I Put on Bye a Bye Happy Face. Mm-hmm. I found Put on a Happy Face play Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. Cool. I found Mary Poppins, the link to Super Cow, and Wait for Your Laugh trailer, the documentary I talked about, mm-hmm. about Rosemary. That's My Boy episode. You talked about mm-hmm. that. I have the Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore Emmy acceptance speeches. Oh. And here's stuff that was mentioned on the podcast, but not related to the main story. Um, looked up what Disney Club 33 is. And here's something that I misidentified. I said Little Rosemary. Her name was Baby Rosemary. Oh, wow. But I found a clip of Rosemary performing as like three years old. Oh my goodness. You have to definitely. I am definitely that. sharing okay. that one. I found an article about Mary Tyler Moore where she says changing the character's history to subtract a divorce storyline. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Where she she was just dumped by a fiance because, because they, they were didn't want afraid mm-hmm. that yeah, they yep. needed to totally disconnect her yep. from yep. that association and with. for it's a little bit of like of uh, your discretion i did find the i'll have what she's having when harry met sally clip. <laughs> parental advisory for that and then i also have links to all the jingles that we talked about wow you were busy i was very busy it was a joyful day at work i love it <laughs> that's awesome yeah so by the time this recap update episode airs our listeners will have also heard a lot of holiday episodes but we decided that probably there weren't going to be a lot of updates we would need to give related Mm -hmm. to those anyway Mm -hmm. based on the topics so this is where it ends today guys we're wrapping it up we hope you have enjoyed a little revisit to all of these and thanks for so much feedback to making this an episode when when some of this stuff happened we had so many people contact us and say you have to talk about this Mm -hmm. so that's been very interesting that's the first time you know it's weird to have people listen to what you say and then go like talk more (laughs) what's that like and you know with this being uh, again you guys are gonna be hearing this at the end of the year so it always makes me think reflectively when a year is ending and and Ashley and I have said this so many times and we just want to say it again to you we are so grateful for you all spending your time with us not just the feedback that Ashley just mentioned but just choosing to to give up your time to listen to us to Mm -hmm. to offer encouragement it means a lot and we are very grateful for you oh oh, oh, candy I forgot to tell you this but I wrote a Christmas carol for you what? <laughs> yes, of okay. course I okay, do. Okay, so it'll be it won't be Christmas, but all right, so here we go. We're going to end with this. Okay. We wish you a scan of water Christmas. We wish you a scan of water Christmas. We wish you a scan of water Christmas and a terrific new year. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm like Irving Berlin. There's your update. He couldn't read music or write music, but he wrote music. There you go. I'm the next Irving Berlin. You heard it here. Yes. So, okay. The cheers has to be to Ashley. No, 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 no. And our listeners. Yes. Let's do the listeners. I don't deserve a cheers for that. Absolutely. Cheers to our listeners. Thank you. And we'll see you next year. See you next year. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the Scandal Water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, 
It's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Scotty is No, this is Henry now. Oh. Yeah. So oh. asleep. Oh my gosh, I wasn't even Yeah, I'm attention. trying to. <laughs> this is the most awkward. All right, so. And I just stop and I went, I am so sorry. Either. Oh, he's going to puke. Oh, great. <laughs> you're like telling it so well. And all of a sudden you're like, he's going to puke. <laughs> we can put that in the, in the uh, excerpts.